Welcome to the conversation. Uh, we are pleased today to continue talking about the election of 2020, but there is an imminent actual election that's going to send someone to Congress uh, before everybody else goes to Congress at the beginning of 2021. And that is in the 27th District of New York, where Nate McMurray is running for the open seat vacated by the uh, by the criminal Chris Collins. Nate, thanks for coming on the conversation today. Thanks for having me on. I'm grateful to be here, Michael. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the setup first. Explain to us, I know, but I think it would be better to hear it from you, exactly what people are voting on on the 23rd, because we know it's the New York primary. But what is it more than that for you? Well, it's a special election. So in 2018, I ran against a guy called Chris Collins, the first to support Trump. Um, and we almost beat him. We lost by 0.37 percent. Is that one of the closest races in the country? Um, but he went to Congress. He said he was going to serve. He did not serve. He ended up resigning and he pled guilty to a crime. So because of that, there's an empty seat. Now, I've been running for the seat for two and a half years because of the first race. And then we are hoping that the special election to fill the seat would happen faster. But it was originally scheduled for April 28th. Then COVID occurred. We asked for it to be delayed, even though I strongly believe we would have won that day because there was a very active presidential primary on that day. It was pushed back until June 23rd. So in about 13 days or 13 days, there's going to be an election to fill that seat. Um, and if I win, it'll be a major impact not only for this region, but for the entire country, because this is a place where Trump won big before. So we're hopeful that we'll have a great showing in 13 days. So, you know, one of the, the first thing you hear is, oh, my God, the, this is one of the first people. Actually, I think the first person on Capitol Hill, as you said, to to endorse Donald Trump. Ironically, the second may have been Duncan Hunter from California, also uh, not in Congress anymore, also a criminal. Um, but there is something to being the first uh, the first to endorse Donald Trump, which means it must play in Peoria, as they say. How does this play in your district, right? I mean, th there had to have been some political impetus for doing that. Trump's popular here, and that's sad because the policies of President Trump haven't helped anybody here. But this is a region that has been devastated by bad trade deals, by uh, simple change in demographics that have driven people out of the region. Um, and a lot of people are desperate. And they looked at Donald Trump as someone that would save us, as a desperation, Hail Mary past that would you know, win it for us. And he hasn't delivered any of the promises. He said he would give health care to every single American. He did not. He said he would bring back manufacturing. There is no more manufacturing in NY27. In fact, NY27 has the worst job market in the country, the worst. So a lot of people place their hope in Donald Trump, and they st I still think many of them hope he'll, he'll somehow pull some miracle to change things. But um, the reality is this is a, a place where a lot of people needed help, and they thought they were betrayed by both parties. And an outsider like Donald Trump would be someone that would help them. What does Nate McMurray say to a Trump voter, uh, someone who you see at an event who says, you know what, Nate, I voted for Donald Trump. Uh, I'm, I voted for Chris Collins. I, I didn't like Hillary Clinton, and I don't like the Democrats. I don't like Nancy Pelosi. Convince me to vote for you this time because one's in jail and the other one hasn't done a good job. I tell them, you may not agree with everything I say, but you know who I am and you know I'll be truthful to you and I'll listen. And I hope 
that my sincerity pulls them over. And the last year, we had the biggest partisan swing for a first-time candidate, state or federal, in the country in a place where Donald Trump won by 24 points. And we had no support from the outside, no national money coming in. We did it by selling T-shirts and working hard here on the ground. Um, and we did it alone. So I, tell, so I hope that that positive energy carries over into 2020. Um, but I tell them, look, at, I know why you believed in Donald Trump. I get it. I get he's a great salesman. The pitch worked. But eventually, you got to get the product. And there hasn't been a product. There hasn't been any results. We don't have health care. There isn't lower drug prices. Now, remember, I live right here. I live on an island between, Canada, between the United States and Canada. It's a, it's a big, huge island the size of Manhattan, covered with trees. And I think about it every day. If you look across that island, I can look two miles away, and I can look at a place where everybody has health care. And people in my region go there to buy drugs. And I say, look, if they're doing it there, why can't we do it here? And I tell them Donald Trump made promises he hasn't fulfilled. If they'll send a guy like me to Congress, I will try to fulfill those promises. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good argument and, and good political persuasion, which it sounds like you did a lot of in, 20, uh, in 2018, and you're going to try and do a bit more of now. Um, talk to me about how what's going on in the in, in the country as a whole right now the, the pandemic sure uh you have a governor whose approval has gone uh, sky high at times uh, even from people who are not given to loving him whether it be republicans or democrats who have problems with him on other scores uh, but now he might be somebody politically who is an advantage to democrats running in that state and then of course you had what happened in minneapolis that that spread to Buffalo, as we saw, and and got the president's attention. Uh, and Buffalo, you know, uh, nearby your district. Um, tell me a little bit about how both of those are playing and everything that we just talked about. Well, I'll be honest, COVID has been very difficult for us from the, the fact that their election date changed to the fact that we have not been able to have our rallies. I mean, one of the things that drove us hard in 2018 was the numbers of people we came to live events. Um, we had hundreds of people in rural New York for a Democrat um, waving flags and being excited. I mean, I was really into retail politics. I did, we did parade after parade after parade. I did a lot of things that traditional politicians nowadays tell you don't work. Well, we did all that stuff, and it worked, and I'm proud of it. And unfortunately, because of COVID, that's been very difficult. We had to close all of our offices. We gave a lot of our computers away to kids who needed, who needed help, uh, needed to have something to use to, to – to stay in school. Um, but what we're going to do regarding the, 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 the issues regarding Black Lives Matter is it's been, it's been amazing in some regards and disappointing in others. I think our region is terribly embarrassed right now by what happened in Buffalo. I have, I have openly called out our elected officials and say this is wrong. We clearly have a problem when, when dozens and dozens of police officers gather and applaud somebody who knocked down a 75-year-old man. Um, it's shocking. And the fact that the man I'm running against, I had a debate last night and I was fierce with him because he wouldn't deny or he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he would, he basically agreed live with the, the tweet that Trump sent out saying the man was a, uh, a protest actor or, um, a crisis actor. And it was a, some kind of fake, you know, staged, uh, a staged attack. Um, he's, he agreed with that conspiracy theory live. And I think it's tragic when we have elected leaders in Washington and then people who want to go to Washington who can't just take the easy layup and say, 
that that tweet was wrong. However, I agree with X, Y, and Z. They're not even willing to challenge something that is so patently or obviously wrong as that conspiracy-laden tweet that Trump sent out. But let me give your, your listeners and the people watching some hope. Again, we live in a place where Trump won by 24 points. Because we can't do the large rallies, we've been doing these road rallies where we line up cars, we drive across the district. On Saturday, I saw young people in these small towns across NY27, places like Hamburg and Orchard Park and Mount Morris, gathered by the hundreds, protesting peacefully, kneeling and, and praying and, and carrying Black Lives Matter signs. Young people, young kids. And I saw these kids in Wales holding big homemade signs. They must have saw our route and knew where we were going to be that said, Nate McMurray for Congress, Black Lives Matter. And I was humbled that someone who has lived with a certain degree of privilege um, was associated with such a noble cause. But also, uh, it gave me hope that these young people will make our country a better place. And that Western New York, a place where we see open and hostile racism recently, will be a place where my children and the families of Western New York can all feel safe and secure. And that's something I'm going to fight for. And you're also going to fight for Medicare for all. Is, uh, is, that, is that right? Is that something you're, that's on your agenda? Yes. And it drives me crazy when uh, moderate Democrats won't even say it. I mean, I'm in a district where it kills me, to, where supposedly it's supposed to kill me to say it. And I lost by only 0.37%. Now, look, I tell people, you can call it whatever you want, but the principle is every single American needs to have health care. And that every other developed country has figured it out, whether through a single-payer system like we have in Canada or whether through a completely socialized system like the UK. I say all the time, not only... Not, America is not the rule, it's the exception. Nobody else, Germany, Japan, they've all figured out some way to cover everybody. Now, I believe Medicare for all is the best solution. And that's what I've advocated for. I think what you feel here where people have so little is they're afraid that they're going to lose their Medicare if we expand it. But I tell them that's absolutely not the case. We're going to make sure we cover every single American. And if we can cover a $2 trillion tax cut or a $3 trillion tax cut or in the CARES Act, a $500 billion slush fund with com for companies that already have tons of cash, we can certainly figure out a way to pay for health care like every other developed country. So yes, I absolutely believe, believe that Medicare for All is the right solution. And I also believe if Democrats across the country said it in unison, it would already have been done. I think there's too much playing to corporate interest. There's too much cowardice on this issue. And I, I'll fight for it when I go to Washington. It's a Donald Trump plus 24 district. Nate McMurray is trying to win it after coming within a point of winning it in 2018. It would be to serve out the rest of this term, be on the ballot in November so that he could serve a full two-year term beginning in 2021, January of 2021. Nate McMurray, thank you for being on the Young Turks. Good luck to you out there in uh, in Buffalo or inside in Buffalo, as you have to be uh, as you're running in the times of COVID. And uh, we look forward to talking to you after the race. Oh, this is a great pleasure to be on the show, and I appreciate everything you guys stand for. Somebody has to represent Wall Street in Congress, and right now that somebody is Gerald Nadler, but Jonathan Herzog wants to be the person uh, to do that. When I say represent Wall Street, I'm talking about the geography, not the people, because most people who work on Wall Street don't live 
on Wall Street. Jonathan Herzog, welcome to the Young Turks. This is the conversation. We're glad you're with us. Um, tell us a little bit about the hill you need to climb. I mean, you're running against Gerald Nadler, obviously an entrenched Democrat, a part of leadership, someone who led the charge in impeachment against Donald Trump. Yet, uh, this is an era of out with the old, in with the new. And tell me about the challenges and the opportunities in running in this race. Absolutely. Well, great to be back. And thank you, Michael. Well, we're in a moment of a crisis on top of a crisis on top of a crisis. And the reality is, in this moment of police brutality, in this moment where more than 100,000 Americans have died from COVID, where more than 40 million are unemployed, where we've entered the new Great Depression, and we haven't implemented testing or contract, contract, uh, contact tracing at scale, Congress has been on recess. And when they return to session, the incumbent, Congressman Nadler, co-sponsored the HEROES Act, which was a multi-trillion dollar bailout of the largest multinational firms with crumbs, with a tiny fraction to bail out the people. And this is the same dynamic that we see in the district, as you described, which is home to Wall Street, the world's financial capital, ground zero for the winner-take-all economy, for the market concentration of power. Nadler came and the House came back in session to pass a multi-trillion dollar bailout. We have not learned the fundamental lesson from 2008 from the financial crisis. So as you said, we are facing this multi-decade incumbent who's really never faced a competitive primary challenge. But I'm happy to say in this moment, people are waking up. We recently won uh, a federal lawsuit reinstating the primary after the entire New York State Democratic Party establishment tried to unconstitutionally cancel it using the pretense of COVID. And we just forced the first televised debate in the history of our district. So while these times are trying and challenging though they may be, uh, we're well on our way to getting just the 15,000 votes we need to unseat the congressman by June 23rd. Tell me a little bit about that challenge. I'm guessing here, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm guessing you voted for Gerald Nadler in your life and members of the Herzog <laughs> have as well. Um, and and you get in, you know, you that's how people get entrenched. But now that you have this challenge ahead of you, who is it that you're convincing, right? It's a very democratic district. It's, uh, but it also requires some convincing and it's tough to convince in the time of COVID, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, but the reality is the structural crises we're facing, more and more and more people are waking up to them, where in the 10th district, before COVID, one in six people lived below the poverty line, couldn't meet their basic needs. And this is in, as you said, the most educated, liberal, uh, high median income uh, district in the country. But these these institutional collapses, these institutional failures are unsustainable. And they're certainly trying at every turn to make it difficult um, for, the, for folks to have a choice because that's the reality is people here just really haven't had a choice in, um, in, in decades. And part of, the, part of the solution, part of the way forward is to offer a new vision um, for someone who's at the civil rights fights at the vanguard of this era. And that new vision includes a universal basic income. It includes a data bill of rights. It includes public financing of elections and a real substantive criminal justice reform. So 
people are starting to realize that we need real systemic structural change and the same old, same old just won't do. You talk about universal basic in income. Andrew Yang has endorsed your candidacy. Um, how, how has that been important in, in terms of generating energy? As someone who was on the trail with him for months and months and months, I saw the energy around Andrew Yang, but it was also about his ideas. Uh, and, and how is that translated on the Upper West Side? Well, you know, this is a community that, again, deeply understands the civil rights fights and civil liberties fights of this era. By the data, actually, by polling, support for ideas like a universal basic income are uh, much higher in urban liberal districts like ours. And now even nationwide amidst the pandemic, um, polling illustrates that upwards of 80 percent of Americans support some version of recurring cash relief, at least during the crisis. But again, this is the central contrast in this race. The congressman was on recess for weeks amidst this pandemic when the CDC director, the former CDC director said, if New York had shut down just 10 days sooner, up to 80% of all deaths could have been avoided. And then they came off recess to pass the single largest multi-trillion dollar bailout since the financial crisis. I mean, this is the outrage. This is the unsustainable dynamic that is leading to the far left and far right populism, the false choice that we have to date. And in the 10th district, it has one of the largest LGBTQ populations in the country. And the LGBT community understands very personally, as I do, that the promise of it gets better is hollow without the promise of financial security in the case your community or family or state rejects you for who you are. And if you look at the George Floyd murder, the George Floyd lynching, this was downstream of a counterfeit $20 bill. We're in a country where before COVID, 50% of all people could not afford an unexpected $500 bill. And now tens of millions are unemployed amidst the new Great Depression. So this affects all of us, and people are waking up to that fact. Yeah, you know, and, and this for people who don't know this district as a uh, fellow New Yorker, uh, this was the bastion of what was liberalism, certainly when I was young, a very, very long time ago. And and, and, and even before that, if there was, if you can believe there was a before that. Uh, but it, it is also now a wealthier part of the city than it was at that time. So um, tell me, Jonathan, how you cater to voters who really have been Nadler supporters, even with their eyes closed. How do you get that? That's really what I'm so fascinated by the one-on-one -on -one with a voter who's voted for Nadler for a long time and thinks, why would I, why would I, you know, uh, switch ships at this point, switch horses, I guess is what you're supposed to say, mixed metaphor. But why would, what does that voter say to you? Absolutely. I mean, the thing I say and I hear is, as you said, Michael, um, I am you and I have been you. I am of, by, and from this district. And the reality is we just haven't had a choice. But one really critical component, Michael, is this is one of the most Jewish districts as well in the country and has been on the front lines of the rise in anti-Semitic hate crimes. Hate crimes in New York rose and doubled last year alone. Two thirds were anti-Semitic. And if you look at the words and writings of um, historians and sociologists of this moment, what they call out is that in moments of social insecurity and instability, when institutions and systems collapse beneath the weight of their lives, people search for a scapegoat. And when I looked at the data, it's not just that for the past two decades, the American Jewish community has looked upon 
the global surge in anti-Semitism with some degree of condescension, even as our brothers and sisters on the front lines in South Brooklyn, those who are visibly Jewish, have been on the front lines of hate crimes for years. It's that the last time we entered a Great Depression, what you saw in Germany in 1928 was a one-to-one -one correlation in a democratically elected government between the rise in unemployment and Nazi seats in the Reichstag. So this is no joke. This is the fundamental reality of our time. And what's particularly tragic is what our Democratic Party leaders have done in the wake of this crisis is after Joe Biden warned that President Trump might use COVID as pretense to postpone the election, the entire New York Democratic Party establishment, what they did was try to cancel the primary. And we fought in federal court for weeks to restore our constitutional right to vote for New Yorkers. So it's time for a change. And I hear you. We haven't had that choice before, but now we do. Uh, let's talk quickly. Uh, Joe Crowley, a member of the establishment, lost in 2018 congressman, kind of asleep at the wheel on that race and, and ran into a juggernaut. You have now Elliot Engel with a significant primary, someone who's been in that uh, in that delegation for a long time. Peter King resigning because even on the Republican side, there was talk of a, uh, a, a primary to him. Jose Serrano on the Democratic side, the same thing. And now here's Gerald Nadler leadership. Is there a kindred spirit kind of thing happening with some of these candidates who have challenged the, the delegation? Uh, I think of uh, Espeat, uh, uh, the, the congressman for, uh, who took Charlie Rangel's spot, spot, ran against him, lost, and then Rangel retired. Is there a kindred spirit feeling you have with some of these challengers that make this more important? I think certainly this moment of, again, crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis it just calls for all hands on deck. And our congressional leadership has been asleep at the switch. And you've all Harari told us last year, Michael, he said, whoever controls the algorithms is the government. We're talking about a federal government that defunded the Office of Technology Assessment in 1995 and has been flying blind and asleep at the switch. A federal government, our legislators, who still use floppy disks, may not even use email or have apps on their phone. And this is a critical component of having 21st century solutions to 21st century crises. So certainly in this moment, people are waking up all across the board that this is unsustainable and it's time for a change. I use email, I don't have floppy disks, and I have apps on my phone, so I feel like I'm uh, you know, really ahead of my time. Jonathan Herzog, uh, you are the embodiment of why we should never, ever cancel elections in this country. There are ways to hold them. Uh, it's important to get everybody's ideas out there. If the hill is too big, then the hill's too big, but you have to be able to hear from, anyone, from everyone. Uh, thanks for being on the Young Turks today. Good luck next week uh, in your primary or in two weeks, uh, almost two weeks, or less than two weeks. Uh, and uh, we'll come back and, uh, and visit with you again. Okay, Jonathan? So appreciate it. Thank you so much, and take care.